So I thought I'd introduce myself uh, a, a bit more. Um, Meho is uh, Wise Phoenix or Shining Phoenix, that's our lineage name, and Angio is Walks in Peace, that's uh, the name that I was given when I took Jukai with uh, Meido and started in the Soto Zen system. But my Buddhist journey started early in life because my gran was interested in all things Tibetan. I remember somewhere around I was about seven telling my mum that I was gonna go to Tibet and live in a cave. And she said, don't be so stupid. But uh, I never did, so. But I first heard the doctrines of Buddhism actually in junior high when I was about 13. And it, it made a lot of sense and I read a lot then. Uh, but then I married my first wife while I was a two-year college and didn't do much until we split up 10 years later and I decided to see the world and traveled to Borobudur in Java and it was there I decided to commit myself to Buddhism. I went to Thailand, took the precepts and then on to Hong Kong. I went to Hong Kong on a three-day stopover on my way from Thailand to Japan and I take up karate seriously but uh, I saw a Buddhist book expo and there met some teachers and so my three-day stopovers turned into an eight and a half years stay when I took a job with Sadaloka Bhikkhu, uh, a monk who ran the Hong Kong Buddhist printing press. That press uh, sought to preserve the sutra that were being destroyed in China and we did a lot of reprinting and woodblock prints. Uh, sometimes we translated them uh luckily we have many scriptures of, from very early in the buddhist teachings uh, from 100 bc to 100 ad i did not have the language skills still don't have language skills i have a heavy london accent um so i didn't do much in the translation but i did understand how difficult it is to render and teach in another language English that's imbued with different cultural and philosophical traditions um, from the original teachings. I undertook uh, Jukai for the first time when I was in Hong Kong in 83 and Zen Jukai again in 84. And I went on retreat in Chan monasteries in Hong Kong and in Japan, uh, 84, 5 and 6, mostly in the Rinzai tradition. No meditated pretty consistently since 1979. In the Zen tradition, all transmission is mind-to-mind, uh, -mind, so it's not necessarily verbal. In fact, language is mostly used to verify rather than teach. In most of the monasteries in Japan and China, people do not chat. And on retreat, I didn't speak for months at all. So. It's quite easy having right speech when you're not saying anything. But right speech is a bit like PC speech. You know, older people, we have to remind ourselves, uh, oh, we don't say that anymore. Whereas younger people do it automatically because it's normal for them. And that's how right speech needs to become a habit. Right speech, sama vacha. Uh, sama is, uh, right, correct, in the sense of proper and correct, and vacha, same root as voice actually. So, sama vacha. 
And it's a little different from what we chant when we take the precepts, which is uh, refraining from Musa Wada. So I undertake the rule of training to refrain from wrong speech. That's a prohibition. Right speech is more an active promotion of speech. Uh, stopping wrong speech is the way for worldlings or householders. But for those that have gone forth, it's more strict and right speech is more the goal. The Buddha himself did not chatter much and remain silent most of the time. There's many phrases of him sitting um, in the sutra of him sitting silently. Um, when you do speak, it should be beneficial, truthful, and not seeking harm. Now, at the time of the Buddha, but he flourished around 500 BC in northern India. Um, words were very important at that time, and speech was very important. And uh, there was the a large um, literature of magic pronouncements, spells, if you like, uh, the Art of Veda. And the words, all words, were actually considered sacred, and the written word was especially so and was venerated even by those who could not read them. Um, the Agamas are the earliest part of the Chinese can canon. Um, much overlap much with the Pali canon and they formulate wrong speech as demeritorious speech, speech that of, should be avoided and not to practice wrong speech, de demeritorious speech and have no connection with them. Elsewhere it mentions abstentation from lies, backbiting, harsh words and frivolous talks. The Chinese um, mostly interpret that fairly strictly and that includes not reading novels, fictions, not listening to lies, not engaging with lies and not repeating lies. So um, the wrong speech also has an aspect of listening for the at least some of the Chinese. When we say uh, the power of speech in, in uh, the Western tradition, we often talk of speaking truth to power. Uh, and that speaking truth, in fact, is uh, part of uh, many formulations of the magic um, phrases. So very common in um, Buddhist uh, sutras is uh, something along the formula of the Buddha was enlightened at the foot of the Sao tree. So by this truth of this statement, may I be free of fear, may I be. So it follows the pattern. I say something truthful and then wish for something. So um, <clears throat> because the Atta Veda was uh, so common at the time of the Buddha. We have many uh, Dharani and Mantra. Dharani are kind of sort of make uh, sense, but only in their own context. Um, I like to think of them like uh, shorthand. Uh, 
if you ever seen shorthand, it makes very little sense, even if you can read it. But for the person that wrote it or the person instructed in that shorthand, makes perfect sense. And mantra are pretty well just magic. So we might <clears throat> might say that Dharani. Sorry. Um, as a, a Dharani have an esoteric statement of truth that's conveyed by the sounds. It doesn't necessarily make sense if you spell the words out. Um, and then we have the problem, um, the Buddha taught Magadhi, uh, a northern Indian language, and that was rendered mostly in Sanskrit and then from Sanskrit into Chinese. And the Chinese understanding that Dharani uh, was more about the sounds than it was the actual words, they sought to render it into transliteration. So you can't always read the characters, they don't make any sense that uh, they are stand-ins for a Sanskrit term. So, um, the, they usually try to find a, a um, character, Chinese character, that has some hint at the meaning, but they're not structured sentences by any means. Uh, many of the mantra have a six-word formula, because six was a magic number. Uh, we, we chant them um, in the Heart Sutra. Uh, gate gate paragati parasangati bodhiswaha. That's a very typical mantra. And it kind of makes sense, but it's mostly about the esoteric meaning. Another one that is widely known in the West is Om Mani Padme Hum, another six character um, mantra. So recently, we have uh, started chanting uh, the new um, Dharani. Uh, which uh, also uh, has a similar six character mantra embedded within the Dharani. Dharani Mantra are a special form of dharani. Uh, dharani is the composite term for all. Mantra is a special subset. So within that dharani is a mantra too. Uh, it's a difficult one to translate. We had to up an English translation for a little while, but it, because this dharani is one that I discussed 35 years ago, I had a memory that it wasn't uh, as it was rendered, and it depends on how you read the characters. Now, my teacher, who was a polyglot, um, simultaneous translator for the UM for a while, um, he said that uh, the Samanti Bhadra, Samanda, in the beginning, in the first line, relates to Samanti Bhadra. And most of the translations that I can see on the web take it to mean Samanda, Saman, 
samanta, calm in peace or stuff. But he said, no, this was much earlier. It was of the fifth century um, when they still called Samantibhadra, Samantibhadra instead of Puyi, which it became his name later. So anyway, I tried to retranslate that and uh, hopefully it'll be up in the next couple of weeks in the English translation. But don't worry about reading it too much because it's the sounds that have the property. Um, the sixth uh, mantra, six word mantra in the middle of that uh, starts with Om and uh, that's related to Amen and invokes something sacred. And then it, it goes Om, space, 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 Hin. Space, Hin is a suffix that just means like magically empowered. So om, space, 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 hin, space, hin, hum. Hum is the same as amen, but it's at the end, it's an out breath. H is uh, aspirant, so it, it finishes it. So amen, um, om, hum. Many of them have om, hum. Uh, so, and Samantibhadra, was a bodhisattva who uh, uh, vowed to uh, save the world from suffering, uh, all pervading. So that's why this mantra is for um, calming the world's troubles. Um, again, I'll send that out on the chat. It should go to all new. You should have that. Um, so I'll read it to you. Namo, that just means homage. It's a um, very common formula. Uh, Namo, homage to Samantibhadra Bodhisattva Buddha. Hear my constantly established invocation. Om, space, 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 hum. Shining. Shiningly enter this, shiningly enter this, irresistibly shiningly enter this, irresistibly shiningly enter this. Establish everywhere, establish everywhere. Eradicate obstruction, eradicate obstruction. Cease all calamities, bring forth fortune. Activate my offering made, Swava, Sawaka. So, um, that's an example of right speech, because it seeks to do good. It is powerful and it is calming. Now I would, in the last few minutes, uh, like to just cover something that uh, was a question a couple of weeks ago, and that was, should you call people out? There's actually a sutra on, on that. The, uh, Abhaya Raja Kumara Sutra, Samajama Nikaya. And uh, a chap tries to trip up the Buddha by saying, you know, asking him a double-ended question. And the Buddha answered, uh, well, you can't answer that yes or no. It's a complicated question. But would I use harsh speech? Uh, 
and there was some examples of harsh speech that he'd used. Uh, Devadatta was going to go to hell. Devadatta uh, was um, not mindful. And they said, well, that caused Devadatta harm. He didn't want to hear he was going to hell. So how, how, you've broken your own precept. And so the Buddha answered, in the case of words that the Tagata knows to be unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial, or not connected with the goal, unendearing and disagreeable to others, he does not say those. In cases of words that the Tathagata knows to be factual, beneficial, unendearing, disagreeable others, he does not say those. In the case of words that the Tathagata knows to be factual, true, beneficial, unendearing, and disagreeable others, he has the sense of saying them at the proper time. In the case of words that he knows to be unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial, but endearing and agreeable to others, i.e. compliments, he does not say them. In the case of the Tathagata, knows to be factual, unbeneficial, but endearing and agreeing, he does not say those either. In the case of the words where the Tathagata knows to be factual, true, beneficial, and endearing, and agreeable to others, he has the sense of the proper time for saying them. Why is that? Because the Tathagata has sympathy or compassion for all living beings. So if you're going to call someone out, make sure you know what the result's going to be and um, the right time and the right way of saying it. Uh, we don't, if it's not going to be beneficial, don't say it at all. So. Right speech is kind of a tricky problem for Buddhists. Um, my teacher used to say, if you can't say anything good, best say nothing at all. Uh, so it was quite funny actually studying with him for years because sometimes he'd go on at great length about uh, a single word or a phrase or a sutra. And then other times we used to sit there in silence just together. <laughs> and he was a wonderful teacher. If I asked, asked him something that was probably not very wise, he often used to say, Mr. Chaplin, please, please eat some food, which was his way of saying, please shut up. <laughs> but, uh, and if he couldn't agree with something, he would rub his head back and say, oh, no, that's too difficult for me. That means he didn't agree with you. So um, it does become a habit. The first part of the habit is uh, refraining from wrong speech and then slowly developing right speech. So I hope that's been of some help to people. And uh, I'm happy to answer any questions or hear any comments. Thank you. <laughs>